I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant. Emily Bowen here and I work in recruitment and customer experience. Today on the show, we're talking about toxic work cultures and what to do about it. In the Facebook community, we get lots of questions about what you can do if you're in a toxic workplace. And so today, we really want to dig into this side of the conversation about what a toxic work culture looks like. How do we define culture? How do you actually assess culture at the outset of employment? What you can do to influence culture or whether or not you're just better off to bail out and find something new. Facebook community, so many of the questions we see about careers and jobs and employment relates to culture. Why do you think that is? Oh, wow. You're really jumping in and hitting me with that hard early shell. How do I think that is? I think that it's because whether we realize it or not in the moment, it is quite all consuming. And so we can find ourselves in a job that has the title and the responsibilities that are what we've been aiming for and that we love. The salary is pretty good. Or maybe we even jumped jobs because the salary is really good. And yet our genuine fulfillment and satisfaction at work, culture just trumps everything. And it can either rise us up or it can bring us down. And so, but it's this point of contention because it's so intangible and it can feel so difficult to influence. Yes. And that's the real key point. It feels difficult to influence. And today what we want to really talk about on this episode is what is culture? We want to define it, get really clear about it. Because as you mentioned, Em, it is intangible. And then we want to look at, well, how can you influence it? And how do you know if you're if it's the right culture for you? So let's just get straight in. And we've got, I suppose we both have our own definitions of culture. I'm The way I kind of try to define culture is it's the behaviours that we accept and tolerate in the business. It's not necessarily the values on the wall, although they might be important and they are often important, but it's more about what are the norms, what are the behaviours, the the unspoken shared values that we see play out? What do you think or how do you try to define it? It's funny. I, I think back to, and I'm sure you do from time to time, the many, many textbooks that we poured over when we were studying HR and how they tell us, uh, I guess you'd always see a little bit of difference between one textbook to the other, but how they would try and describe to us this intangible thing called culture. And I couldn't help but do a quick Google. And so I've just brought it up and is a pretty good definition that I think will um, bring back some memories. And that is organisational culture is the collection of values, expectations and practices that guide and inform the actions of all team members. Now, over time and you're working in a business, I have found myself thinking 
Sure, I agree with that. But how would I actually define culture? It's just the way we do things around here. So when you move into a new business or a new team, or even if you go and visit your friends or go and stay with another family, if you've ever had that experience, there's a family culture there as well. And it's just how things are done around here. So I love your definition. Um, You know, I think we've just used our own words to describe the same thing. And it is all about this idea of actions speak louder than words for me. Because to your point, it doesn't matter what you write on the wall, it's how people turn up every day and and what is accepted. It's funny that you mentioned uni because I was, (laughs) when I was doing my master's, I uh, we, we had to do a case study on um, about the Royal Commission into banking and finance. And one of the organisations I had to study was ComBank. And they talked a lot about what happened at ComBank during the Royal Commission and the culture that allowed unlawful, illegal and unethical behaviours to exist. And at the time, ComBank's values were, and I, I won't get it all right, but one of them was absolutely in- integrity. So integrity was one of their core values and there was a number of others. And then you see what happened during that time and it was over a 10-year period and the financial advisors are committing all this fraud and there's all this stuff happening. Now, obviously, that wasn't everyone, but it showed that one of the predominant cultures there was make money no matter the expense or the cost to the customer and that that certainly came out in the Royal Commission and I think what that shows us is an organisation can have these values they can say trust and integrity and ethics or whatever, but that doesn't mean that's what the culture, what the vibe, what the heart and soul of that business is. What you see in the behaviour that outworked at ComBank and the other big four banks during that time frame was the dominant culture was make money and that, you go. Oh, sorry, I was just going to jump in and say, and yet it's not just the values that might be written on the wall. I would dare say that there was probably policies as well. So there was probably, uh, you know, whether they're HR policies or like codes of practice or something like that, that said, don't do it this way, don't do it that way. And yet Yeah, totally. And I guess that's why I come back to what is the, what are the behaviours that are allowed, that are tolerated, that are accepted? And that is what the culture is. So if you're in an organisation and one of the things you're seeing is that there's a culture, a leadership culture or a culture within your team that is that is blame, like blame shifts, that doesn't own mistakes, that undermines or throws people under the bus. No one's going to have a, a wall of values that says, at this business, we blame shift. <laughs> and hit people with buses. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But that's the culture. That's the culture that we see. And so... I don't know. That's why I guess I'm so passionate about, and both of us talk about this a lot. You can get paid a great salary. You can have a dream like position description and whatever. But if the culture that you're in doesn't align with what you think is important, what you value, then there's going to be problems. Absolutely. I uh, am, as you're speaking, reflecting back. Do you remember that episode that we did where we spoke about sexual harassment in the workplace? That was a phenomenal conversation, really powerful and worth a listen in its own right. But what's interesting to me is as we continue to think about what culture is and this idea of acceptance, so what behaviours are accepted, I remember that particular conversation. We also drew out this idea of humans needing a sense of connection 
and needing a sense of acceptance. And so, so often making decisions at work is about how am I going, I guess I'll jump around here a little bit. I'll stop myself and come back. But it's like, how do you go, particularly in a highly sophisticated organisation, if we keep picking on the big four banks for a little bit longer, from having good intentions, I am sure, when they started out and they wrote those words on the wall and they designed those codes of practice, to disintegrating the culture to the point that it is so detrimental to individuals. And so then I come back to this idea of, okay, well, as a human, we've got this need for acceptance. And so one by one, decision by decision each day, I guess that seed gets planted and then it gets nurtured and it grows. And it, some of it at least, if not all of it, is coming from this desire to be included, desire to be accepted. And we'll talk more later about, well, how do you actually use that awareness to then try and shift culture and what impact can you have? But it's such a powerful thing. Like culture, you just imagine this really big tidal wave where it just picks up so much momentum. And before you know it, as a human in that culture, you can become quite absorbed if you're not careful. I love what you said there, Em, about included. So like it's very difficult and anyone who's been in a toxic culture knows this. It's very difficult when you're in that environment to not conform to the norm. And it's almost like you kind of look at yourself in an out-of-body experience. Like I've been in, I worked in a really toxic culture, you know, years back. And I remember seeing my behaviour of just wanting to fit in. So there was a lot of like undermining people, bitching, all that stuff. And rivalry and do whatever you can to get ahead kind of vibes. And I remember thinking, I hate this. I hate this. This is so not me. But then watching myself to fit in, just doing that behavior, because that was the norm. That's how you, that's how you kind of won in that business. And work is, work is hard enough. Life is hard enough as it is. So I guess you can, I can absolutely see how you can get so easily caught up in how do I make my life that little bit easier? Well, you know what, when I'm at work, if I just do those things that everyone else is doing, that no one will question or turn against, perhaps they're negative things. But if I just do it the way that it's expected that I do it, if I fit in with everyone else, then I don't have to deal with any confrontation or being ostracized. And while it goes against my values and internally I've got a sense of tension, at least I'm not having to deal with anyone else about that. I can keep that to myself and get on with it. Exactly. And I I think it lasts for a short time. Like you could probably do it. Like for me, I remember there was like this pivotal moment where I was like, enough's enough. This is totally soul destroying. I got to get out. And so then I did. And I think if you're, if you're listening and you are in a toxic culture, do that self-assessment to go, is this something like for me, I remember looking around going, there's some good pockets within the business, but there's some really, um, like the predominant culture felt pretty toxic. And I knew I wasn't in a position to necessarily influence it. And so at that point I was like, well, what do I do? I have to get out. Mm. Now, things have obviously changed that business, very different environment, you know, 10 years on. But I get. I guess it's about that self-assessment. It's like the frog in boiling water, you know, like if you you slowly acclimatise to the culture over time or do you actually take some moments out to self-reflect and go, is this aligned with my values? Is this aligned with who I want to be? What's important to me? 
And if not, can I change it? And I guess that's where we want to go is, is, okay, we've got culture. We know what it means. We know what it looks like. What can we do about it? Yeah, absolutely. And even we will also talk about, well, before you actually enter that business, through the recruitment process, what can you be looking for to do an assessment as well? Before we uh, move completely, well, not completely, but before we start to move away from this trying to, I guess, bring a definition to this word culture, um, if anyone, if you have Netflix, uh, that sounds a little bit silly to say, but God, there's so many streaming services lately. So maybe people don't have Netflix anymore. I'm not sure. But if you if you can get your hands on Netflix and look up an, a series called Dirty Money, there's actually an episode which is on Volkswagen. And similar to the um, finance and banking industry, where we had our Royal Commission, it just, it shows you so clearly the impact of leadership and culture on good and bad business decision making and the impact that that can have societally and economically and so on and so forth. So if you are particularly interested in this idea of culture and you want to see what a bad one looks like, um, then for me, that really brings it to life. It's really powerful. So it can be intangible. But if you if you take a watch um, after listening to this, I think it will help you continue to understand. I love stories about bad culture because oh. it's really interesting. Now there's it's definitely on the floor, honestly. <laughs> it's amazing. Now we just want to take a break for a second, give you a little moment to let all of that settle in, simmer. It's a massive topic that we're covering today. But when we come back, we'll dive into what you can do to contribute to culture or perhaps influence culture in your workplace. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we've created a bunch of different podcasts. So go and check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business and Gen Z Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, Em, so let's talk about recruitment. Put your recruiter hat on. Do you ever take it off, that hat? I don't think I do, unfortunately. I think it's always on. <laughs> you do ask good questions. Okay, yeah. so what do you do at an interview to assess culture? And, and you've got a unique perspective because you, you're the recruiter and that's your business that you operate in, but also you're working with organisations that aren't your business and so you get all these glimpses into all these different cultures. Yeah. So how do, how, as a candidate, how do you assess the culture? And it, Before I answer, I it's funny – I've always said I have seen the insides of many businesses 
in the local region that I regions that I work in. And my goodness, there aren't many left that I would want to work for, which is possibly why I'm still working here where I am so many years later, uh, because I don't take it for granted. And absolutely, when, I mean, I've got, I say that with very high expectations, so don't get me wrong, there are plenty of wonderful workplaces. But what happens is in the position I'm in, you're right, Shell, I'm not only interviewing candidates for roles, but I'm also sitting in front of businesses and saying, okay, why would someone actually want to work here? And then I get the spiel. And the spiel is usually similar to this idea of what's written on the wall. And, you know, this is the first answer. It's usually somewhat generic. So it might be as simple as everyone here is really lovely. Um, We have a real focus on career progression and we offer a lot of flexibility. And it's quite high level. They're all wonderful things. But more interesting to me is as I dig deeper and I start to, I guess, expect that that client will, that has the job, so that employer that has the job that I need to go and find the the perfect candidate for, um, I'm looking for them to provide proof points, you know, what's the evidence? But on top of that, when I'm dealing with anyone else from the organisation, I'm asking them, you know, how they find it here, making small talk with them. I'm observing what their behaviours are like. And so it's not, when I'm looking at an organisation, it's not just for me about what comes out of their mouth and it's particularly not just about the first thing that comes out of their mouth, but it's also about what I can observe and how there's harmony between the actions and words. And I think time and time again we're going to talk about that through this episode because that's where where you are trying to find those proof points. And so you then apply that if you're a candidate and you're working with a recruiter or you're interviewing, you know, indirectly with an organisation, I would encourage you to do the same. So it's keeping your eyes open to every interaction, whether that be with the receptionist when you walk in, whether that be with the HR administrator who's sending you an interview confirmation and calling you to tee up, you know, different components of the process. But it's also about asking questions through the the interview process and not just accepting the first high-level answer, but unpacking that with the interviewer. If they say, we do flexibility really well, and that's their answer to why they enjoy working for the business, then I want you to be asking, can you give me some examples of that? So you're actually turning the table on the interviewer. And, and I've always encouraged approaching an interview as a conversation. So you certainly want to, don't want to go, um, you know, firing questions at them and making them feel uncomfortable, but it's more through the flow of the conversation. If they do spruik something about their culture, actually asking them to provide you with an example. One of the things I've learned over time, especially because of that early experience of working in a culture that was pretty toxic, is culture and healthy culture looks different for each person because it's really based on your values. So for me, a culture that I want to work in, that I flourish and and thrive in will be different to you and it will be different to the next person because what we value is different. So I really value high autonomy and flexibility. If I don't have that, I feel like my soul will be crushed. Mm. (laughs) Like I'm I'm like, I can't thrive in that environment. So one of the things that I look for if I'm looking at a new job is what's the level of autonomy? 
how much creative control or license will I have in this gig? Is it going to be really narrow, in which case I think I won't cope? Or is it is there breadth to it? Is there scope in what I'm able to control and contribute to? The other thing is I want to have total flexibility. I want it to be about outcomes based, not hours. I hate it. I hate focusing on hours. And so that for me is just those validate points to validate that, okay, am I going to have the autonomy? Am I going to have the flexibility? And the other one for me that's massive is how authentic is it? Like, can I be me? Is it fun? Is it authentic? Yeah. And so much of culture and assessing culture before you join an organization is gut feel. It's instinctive because it's subjective and it's personal. And A few things I'll pull out of what you've just said, Shell, that I'm like, yes, yes, yes. So through the interview process, we've often talked about dating and recruitment being very similar. Like, you know, if you've you've been someone that's dated, sometimes you can turn up for that first coffee or that drink and you're just like, this just flows. Now, regardless of whether you're going to live your whole life with that person, let's put that to the side for one second. But you at least know on that first date, second date, third date, yeah, I want to see this person again. Yeah, I just felt like I could be myself. I wasn't, I I relaxed really quickly. I didn't have to try too hard. It just flowed. And through a recruitment process, through those conversations, whether they're formal or informal, you can get a sense for that. And I'd encourage you to listen to it. And then the other thing, this idea of connecting with other team members. So you might know some people that have either worked for that organization or that boss in the past, or maybe they still do, and you can reach out to them. But if that's not the case, or even if it is, I would encourage you to, through the at the right time through the recruitment process, so when you start to get to the point of your end and you're realizing that actually, you know, maybe you're up to the third date and they're keen on you, asking for the opportunity to meet with some of the other team members can be extremely powerful. And so we're actually um, recruiting a really significant, like an important role here at the moment. And we had three interviews. This is going to, I'm going to prove how seriously we take recruitment funnily enough. We've had three interviews that have been more traditional in the sense that they've had the candidate or a number of candidates, but we've whittled it down to our preferred and that preferred candidates, you know, at round three, and it's with the person, the people that they'll work most closely with, including the person that they report to. And now we're at the point where what's actually happening today is they're meeting with the rest of the team and the person that they report that that role reports to is not going to be there. It's just going to be just go and have a chat and call it an interview if you like. But really, it's just about starting to now shift from recruitment mode into onboarding mode because we're taking this person and we're saying, just go and have a chat with the people that you're going to work with. What's so critical about that, though, is that's such a good opportunity. Boss is not in the room to be able to validate those things that have been sold so far in the recruitment process and just do a final check that, yeah, can I actually get along with these people? Are they my kind of people? And so I'm a big advocate for try, for doing what you can to make that happen in your recruitment process and even as the candidate putting that idea out there and whether or not it gets taken up is another good indicator. If that's important to you, then you, you're looking for an organisation that sees that as important to them as well. I think that one thing we haven't really dug into very much is is your boss, is your leader mm. in culture because you know, we talked, we've talked a lot about the vibe, the team, um, the kind of values that you see at work and, and behaviours, but really looking at that leader, 
that boss, that manager, whoever they are, and get a sense of this is the person you're going to be working for. This is the person that's going to determine whether you get career opportunities, whether you don't, what your kind of day-to-day life looks like. And one of the things I think is really simple is, do I like them? Would I go and get a drink with them? You know, we don't have to have the exact same, like they don't have to be my friend, but do I like this person? Yeah, it's like the pub test. Would I Would I go to the pub and have a drink with this person? Yeah, totally, totally because... I just think that's so important. Like it's so, you know, sometimes we're just looking at it transactionally. Like can I do the core skills and meet that job and will I get it like the pay that I need? But looking beyond the transaction and going, if I'm going to spend and expend so much energy at this place, do I like it? Do I like the person that I'm going to be working for? Do I trust them? Do I get a sense that they're, they are who they say they are and how that and and the the way that they work will be um you know that they'll trust me to do my job and some of those things for me just like the the most critical things I'll be looking for in a job in an interview and and so take us if you've been in in your job a while and you look at your leader and there's someone that inspires you that you want to work for chances are you're in a good environment and leaders have so much influence on culture because of the power dynamic in a workplace, they are the voice, in inverted commas, of culture in so many ways, what they accept, what they do, the way they make decisions. And I always feel like if you like someone, you can generally get through challenges a lot more easily than if you don't. Like it's amazing what can be overcome with another human if you just like each other. It's so helpful. Yeah, some one of my friends works for the, was telling me about a story. She works for this manager, and and they always undermine the team members and st- stop actually team members from getting promotions and career opportunities. I'm like, why do you work there? Mm. Like honestly, why do you work there? Yeah, and she's like, oh, the money's good. Yeah, but you hate it. Yeah, like, you just hate it. So I think and there's good test- money elsewhere. There is good money <laughs> elsewhere. You can get that elsewhere, and you can also get good culture. And, and that's the thing, it's being able to go, there's more opportunities out there and I don't have to accept that this is, you know, that this is my lot and I've just got to deal with this person that I don't like. So, so sense checking the leader and working out, they're going to be one of the key determining factors about the cultural health or if the culture is toxic. And back to this idea of meeting team members and look, if the boss is there, they're there. If they're not, they're not. Either way, I would encourage you to say, and maybe you have to say it a little bit cheeky, you know, oh, this is a cheeky question, but what is that person like to work for? You know, ask the question when you're going through the recruitment process. So what is M like to work for? And take cues from how quickly and easily the team answers from their body language, from whether there's hesitation, whether there's looks around the room, And just, again, use your instinct, trust your gut to get a sense for if they're holding anything back. Mm. So let's then, we've talked about what to do at the the recruitment stage, but for most of us, we're probably not at the rest stage of recruitment. We're in our job. And and many of us, if we're in a culture that is either maybe unhealthy or toxic, then the point that we get to is, well, what do I do? What do I do? Do I leave? Do I stay? Can I change it? 
how do I influence it? So we want to give you some practical ways to actually influence culture. And we do believe that you can influence culture. The key thing that we need to look at though is how, I guess, wide and deep does if does the toxic or bad culture run? Because that's where you get a sense of, well, how dramatic does my action need to be? Do I need to leave or stay? And from your perspective, what can a team member do to influence or shape culture? So I always think about, and we've talked about it so far, it's this idea of actions and it's this idea of decision-making. It's going to be really, really challenging. It's not going to be easy to try and shift a culture. And so when you are in a, working in a toxic culture and you've made the call that you'd like to try to shift it, try to influence in a different way, I think it's important to manage your own expectations and just be ready for it to feel difficult for it to not be easy and potentially for it to not work. Um, But one of the first things I'd do is get clear on what is your actual locus of control, which again, that comes down to your own behaviours, your own decision-making, and then look at your day or through your day, look at what you're doing, look at the conversations you're having and just start by dipping your toe in the water. I wouldn't be starting with any major grand gestures. I would actually be starting small and just starting with how you do what you do. So if you're used to uh, there being pressure to make a particular decision one way and you feel like that's contributing to a toxic culture, but you've got the opportunity in your role to make the decision a slightly different way or to even communicate the decision a slightly different way, then that can be a really nice opportunity for you to just try it on and see what happens. And so I would really encourage that idea of managing your own expectations in regards to how quickly you can change it or influence it, but also starting small and gradually building up. And if we go back again to that, the frog in boiling water. So the frog in boiling water, if it's slowly um, heating, doesn't jump out. And one of the things that happens for our leader is if they've been in the business a long time, they're just acclimatised to the toxic culture or the bad culture that they're in. So, So part of what I'd see in employees' role is just bringing their attention to the climate. Hey, M, if say, so let's say, M, you're managing me and I'm, I'm working for you. I'm like, gee, this culture sucks here. <laughs> I'm not going to go to you and say, gee, this culture sucks because that's going to be a direct reflection on your leadership actually. And so you're going to get defensive about that potentially. The other thing I hear in that is you're bringing me a problem. Like you're making a comment about a problem and I'm very busy and I'm very stressed and I'm existing in this toxic culture that makes me feel pretty rubbish, even if I've pushed those feelings down, down, they're still there. I don't love it. I don't want to be here. I'm cranky. That's right. So the key is one of the most important actions I think you can take as an employee is to have a conversation with your manager about it. But it's just the way that we approach it because you can actually be a catalyst for really good change in your business. So how I'm coming to you, Em, is not just, oh, fire out, this culture sucks. Because chances are you're right. You're going to be like, yeah, it does. I hate it too. And I'm stressed and please leave me alone. You know, and, but I, I think what I would be doing is going, hey, Em, one of the things I've identified in myself is that when a problem comes up, 
that maybe I've dropped the ball on something. My natural tendency in this business is to blame shift. And I start to push it onto other people because that's that's just kind of how I feel that my default is. Now, what you're saying there is the culture is that we blame shift, but you're saying it in a way of, like you said, Em, it's what what I'm, what I'm, what can I control? My own behaviour. And then I come to you and say, what do you think we could do about that? Have you noticed that maybe there's a bit of a culture or, or pattern where people don't seem to own their mistakes or is that just me? And what I'm starting to do there is open up this conversation about a really micro example of a cultural behaviour and see, and then I get to assess in your response, what is the likelihood that A, you even acknowledge it and B, we can do anything about it? So because the response you're hoping for is that I say, yep, you know what, Shell? I feel the same. I've been thinking that for a while now. And yeah, you're probably right. We probably do need to do something about it. And then that cracks open the conversation and you start to create an like an ally. You've got a, a an advocate. You've got an allegiance there. If though you get a response that is more defensive or less engaged, not interested in entertaining it whatsoever, or perhaps even in denial and just says, because they quite genuinely haven't observed it or they just don't want to believe it. Mm, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Sorry, Shelley. Mm. Mm. Like, okay. <laughs> then or, that's quite dismissive. Well, that's right. Or, or the, the passivity. So it could be, yeah, I know, but there's nothing we can do about it. It's just how it is. Yeah. No, no one takes ownership over anything in this organisation. Well, you have your answer. Okay, that part of the culture, if that's a real challenge for you personally and you can't see any momentum to change, well, then that's not going to go away and you're going to have to think if you can stay in that organisation. I guess that's where we come back to have the conversations, try and gauge whether, whether there could be change or momentum, but also manage your expectations that cultural change is some of the slowest change within an organisation. So see if there's any inclination to do something about it and then know that, you know, this could be a while before I see any momentum here. And I guess that becomes then your decision and choice around how long are you willing to wait to see a change in culture? Yeah. And it it really does go to there is a braveness in being the person that speaks up. But you're right, if you start with self, then two things are going to happen. One is you actually are at less less chance, less risk of offending someone else and getting them offside. But two, along the way, you're at, you're making sure that your priority is what do you want to be a part of? You know, if you're focusing on self the whole time, then it allows you to better continue to check, do I want to be here? Can this, like this place, maybe it, maybe it is good, it's just lost its way. Can it get back there quick enough for me? Or is it a bit of a lost cause? I love the, that you said brave. <laughs> like bravery, this, everything about influencing culture to me I think you've just captured that so well that you actually need to be a bit courageous. You're putting yourself out there and you're trying to buck the trend. Yeah, going you're saying, against the grain. Yeah, this is what is happening right now. This is not okay. And you're calling it out. It's all about your point how you go about calling it out. And I loved your advice, but yeah, you're calling it out. 
I just imagine if we think about Combank, how many, and the big banks wouldn't have just been Combank, but how many people probably tried to do that? They would have seen those instances of poor behaviour or toxic culture or fraud and gone, hey, over here, there's a problem here. And I, I just wonder, like, that's obviously such an extreme example. But if we, if we go back from that, if you're in an organisation and you see bad culture, chances are the leadership don't want to, to foster a toxic culture. <laughs> So just saying, giving them the chance to improve, just like we want our leader to give us the chance to improve if we've done something that isn't great, I think that is the brave thing to do. It's bold, but it's also fair and right. Yeah, I agree. And it's you never know unless you try. So you might still leave, but if you're contemplating leaving based on culture, then why not just give it a go? That said, we completely understand that sometimes the toxicity of the culture itself is silencing. Sometimes you might watch other people try to open a conversation and fail in the sense that they haven't failed, the organisation has failed them, but it's not created any sense of change. And so that can also breed into one of the, uh, I guess, components of the culture, which can be if you talk about it you get moved on. Or if you talk about it, you don't get, like if you try and challenge it, you don't get opportunities. And so that can then contribute to people not feeling comfortable to speak up. But look, if there's room to still try before you ultimately move on, then certainly I would encourage it. Well, I think we've tried to tackle this really big conversation of culture. We've talked through obviously getting to define it. What do you do at recruitment? How do you influence it? And are there any kind of final thoughts that you have for our listeners on what to do if they're in a situation like this? The thing that stands out for me is really this leadership piece. If you are in a leadership role, then you are the custodian of culture, like you champion it and you more than anyone have the privilege of being able to influence it as well as the responsibility. And so if someone's coming to you, if you're seeing someone, something or someone's coming to you, then take that really seriously and be open-minded. And if you're an employee, then I'd really encourage you to own your own behaviours, but also let me just repeat this idea, which was yours, Shell, and that is try and find an ally in someone in a leadership role because their ability to fast track any momentum is not to be underestimated, but also on the flip side, they can give you an indicator of if it's all got concrete around its ankles and it's not going anywhere. Yeah, that's right. And my encouragement, if you are in a culture that is toxic or unhealthy, go back and do the work again on what your values are. Look at your values, work out, here's my core values. Does this business have any of the essence of those things? Could they get there? Could we see those align? Or is there fundamental misalignment in those values? In which case, then you start to make a plan of what do you do from here? Is it time to opt out? So that'd be my encouragement, um, M, on what to do next. Yeah, I love that. There's a learning experience in everything. So even if you have worked in a toxic culture or you're working in a toxic culture right now, actually use it. Take it as something it will be, as corny as it sounds, a gift to you later on because it allows you to see that that is the worst of it and you'll really appreciate what you find in the future when it looks nothing like that. Yes. Well, um, thanks for hanging out as always. Good to oh, chat. My pleasure. Oh, I could be here all day talking about this topic. So let's do it again soon. 
If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you subscribe, follow and give us a five-star rating and review. Thanks heaps. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we've created a bunch of different podcasts. So go and check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business and Gen Z Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.